Fish and visitors stink after three days. A pair of good ears will ring dry a hundred tongues. We hold these truths to be self-evident. You know, Tom, I like that better. Welcome to Benjamin Franklin for President, the Podcast Gazette, an online almanac for your education and entertainment featuring Franklin scholar, educator, and presenter, G. Robin Smith. Welcome, and may it do you good. How few there are who have courage enough to own their faults, or resolution enough to mend them. From Ben's pen to your ears. Now it's time for biography. Greetings, and welcome to our biography section. The first person I'd like to give a biography of, brief though it is, is for Lucrezia Aguijari. She lived only 40 years, from 1743 to 1783. She was a singer, an Italian soprano. Interesting that in that time such distinctions that she was given were not what they would be today considered rude. Uh, Not the soprano, of course, but the fact that she was an illegitimate daughter of a nobleman. And she was popularly known as La Bastardina or La Bastardella. Imagine calling someone like that today. But she debuted in Florence and was highly acclaimed for the extraordinary range of her voice. And she sang in Milan, uh, of course, before her London debut in 1774 at the Pantheon in Oxford Street, a concert hall opened in 1772. She was married to Giuseppe Cola, whose compositions she regularly performed. So it says here, the notes. And we have here a letter, an excerpt, that she sent to Dr. Franklin, though it was in, in French. The Agujari presents her humble respects to Dr. Franklin and begs him to accept the tribute that she has the honor of offering him, along with the score of the cantata, which she will perform this evening at the Pantheon. This is interesting to note that music, of course, was all done live. There was no recording devices. And music once performed live was oftentimes passed around in the sheet music, and that is one of the ways that musicians could make their money was from the publication of their music that other people would perform in their homes or in the salons, etc. And this was very well often done in the salons at France, in France that Franklin attended. Madame Brion, one of his favorites, would oftentimes compose pieces and for them, and they would sing and have music played for them. Imagine in your time there being absolutely no other way of obtaining music other than somebody performing it live. All the music that we have we have now on our iPods and radio and CD players and streaming through the computers had to be done live. Everything had to be done that way. This is just one person, the countless constellations that Franklin drew around him. Franklin was a musician himself. He played the harp, the fiddle, the penny whistle, he invented the glass harmonica and played upon it. He loved music, Scottish folk tunes especially, as well as concert material as well. 
we'll be bringing you other short biographies of people ancillary to Benjamin Franklin's life as the episodes continue. Let's read some letters. United States Bank Commercial Treaty Scheme for Coining Dr. Riley A letter to George Watley from Philadelphia, 18 May, 1787 I received duly my good old friend's letter of the 19th of February. I thank you much for your notes on banks. They are just and solid, as far as I can judge of them. Our bank here has met with great opposition, partly from envy and partly from those who wish an emission of more paper money, which they think the bank influence prevents. But it has stood all attacks and went on well, notwithstanding the assembly repealed its charter. A new assembly has restored it, and the management is so prudent that I have no doubt of its continuing to go on well. The dividend has never been less than six per cent, nor will that be augmented for some time, as the surplus profit is reserved to face accidents. The dividend of eleven per cent, which was once made, was from a circumstance scarce avoidable. A new company was proposed and prevented only by admitting a number of new partners. As many of the first set were averse to this and chose to withdraw, it was necessary to settle their accounts. So all were adjusted, the profits shared that had been accumulated, and the new and old proprietors jointly began on a new and equal footing. Their notes are always instantly paid on demand and pass on all occasions as readily as silver, because they will always produce silver. Your medallion is in good company, and it is placed with those of Lord Chatham, Lord Camden, Marquis of Rockingham, and Sir George Seville, and some others who honoured me with a show of friendly regard when in England. I believe I have thanked you for it, but I thank you again. I believe with you that if our Plenipo is desirous of concluding a treaty of commerce, he may need patience. If I were in his place and not otherwise instructed, I should be apt to say, quote, Take your own time, gentlemen. If the treaty cannot be made as much to your advantage as to ours, don't make it. I am sure the want of it is not more to our disadvantage than to yours. Let the merchants on both sides treat with one another laissez-faire. I have never considered attentively the Congress's scheme for coining, and I have it not now at hand, so that at present I can say nothing to it. The chief uses of coining seem to be the ascertaining the fineness of the metals, and saving the time that would otherwise be spent in weighing to ascertain the quality. But the convenience of fixed values to pieces is so great as to force the currency of some whose stamp is worn off that should have assured their fineness, and which are evidently not of half their due weight. The case at present with the sixpences in England, which one with another, do not weigh threepence. You are now seventy-eight, and I am eighty-two. You tread fast upon my heels, but though you have more strength and spirit, you cannot come up with me till I stop, which must now be soon. For I am grown so old as to have buried most of the friends of my youth. And I now often hear persons 
whom I knew when children called old Mr. Such-a-one, to distinguish them from their sons, now men grown and in, and in business, so that by living twelve years beyond David's period, I seem to have intruded myself into the company of posterity when I ought to have been abed and asleep. Yet, had I gone at seventy, it would have cut off twelve of the most active years of my life, employed, too, in matters of the greatest importance, but whether I have been doing good or mischief is for time to discover. I only know that I intended well, and I hope all will end well. Be so good as to present my affectionate respects to Dr. Riley. I am under great obligations to him, and shall write to him shortly. It will be a pleasure to him to know that my malady does not grow sensibly worse, and that is a great point, for it has always been so tolerable as to not prevent my enjoying the pleasures of society and being cheerful in conversation. I owe this in a great measure to his good counsels. Adieu, my dear friend, and believe me ever yours most affectionately. B. Franklin It is interesting to note that um, Mr. Watley is a long-time correspondent of Dr. Franklin's. He is also a contemporary of him, being born in 1709, compared to Franklin 1706, and dying in 1791, compared to Franklin 1790. They were both interested in things medical. Watley was at one time vice president and later the treasurer of the Foundling Hospital in London. It is in a letter to George Watley Esquire that Franklin sent a illustration of his uh, spectacles, his double spectacles, as we call it, what we call now bifocals. And it's also interesting to note they're talking about the banks here and the printing of paper money and the amount of interest that was expected and the interest of uh, laissez-faire economics and the rather implied threat that Franklin included in, when he talks about the plenipo, he's talking about the plenipotentiary of um, the person representing America and the, uh, the implied threat of, if you don't get the treaty done, you know, why take your time because we'll just take care of it ourselves. Franklin also does something he oftentimes does in his later letters. He talks about his age, and he says here, you are now 78 and I am 82. Of course, he died when he was 84, so only two years from this point. But he says with a bit of resignation, he is comfortable with his life, the goodness he has tried to do, and even in his failures, the fact that he did try his best. This letter is from the works of Benjamin Franklin, containing several political and historical tracts, not included in any former edition. And many letters official and private, not here through two, published, with notes and A Life of the Author, by Jared Sparks, Volume 10, Boston, Charles Tappan, Publisher, Louisville, Kentucky, Alston, Mygat, 1844. This is an actual edition from that year. And it's a delightful book that I have, one of many, and that I'll be going into as we progress throughout these various podcasts. Thank you, and that ends our selection of letters for this podcast. And now for Website of the Week. Greetings. 
This is the section where we talk about web resources for your interest in colonial history. The first one that I'd like to make is for the Papers of Benjamin Franklin, sponsored by Yale University. They have been collecting his writings since the 50s and putting out a volume a year, and they have finally recently finished here, now 2011, and the entire collection of the writings, the letters, manuscripts, etc., both to, from, and about Franklin, are now available online. Their full version, both in print and in digital media, is available for sale that includes the annotations, all the notes and things that they've researched, but the pure writings are available online and searchable. The website is www.yale.edu slash Franklin Papers slash digital edition dot html. I do recommend it and think that you, no matter what period or person that you're studying of the colonial era, uh, you will find this useful. Again, that is www.yale.edu slash Franklin Papers slash digital edition dot html. Thank you. Hello, my name is Aaron Ziegler, and here we have arrived at the part of the show where, as if by a miracle, aided by the muse of performance and wisdom, we shall appear to put forth questions to the man himself, Dr. Benjamin Franklin. Welcome, Dr. Franklin. You have been brought forward from the 18th century to join us. What were your first impressions of the world today? Well, there are many similarities. I was very surprised to find out. People are very much the same, still very courteous to a stranger. They are still very curious about the world around them, examining, experimenting, trying to find out why things happened and when they happened. Their fascination with history, with communication, with power, both of the engine kind of being able to produce more of what they want, as well as power in the political field. I, in many ways, I could feel very much at home in this time. Um, many of your inventions are very intriguing and interesting. The things that do not change, though, I'm finding just as interesting. The quests that you have for understanding the, the problems you still face of war, of famine, of disease, of poverty, of political infighting. These are things I sadly have much in common with your time. They are things I've had much experience with. And I'm hoping that perchance maybe some of my remembrances of my times might just afford you a little bit of information that you could use to improve your time. That is my hope, at least. Can you give us a brief encapsulation of your times, when you lived, what was happening in the world? Well, as you may record in some of your books about our time, I was born, in, according to my calendar, in 1705, later changed to 1706 because of the calendar change in the 1750s, but I was born not too much after the Salem witch trials, a rather disquieting and ugly time for us, uh, in the New England portion of the colonies, uh, in Boston, 
on Milk Street on a Sunday. And I was born the 10th son and the 15th child of my father and mother, uh, my mother, Abaya Folger, my father, Josiah Franklin. That she was his second wife. The first wife gave him seven children, and my mother gave him ten more. And we were a very large family, as I think uh, even by your standards today. Uh, my father was not a very wealthy man, except in wisdom and in respect others had for his opinion. I was raised there, loving the sea, loving to swim, uh, until I was about 12, where I apprenticed to my elder brother, James, and I was taught the trade of a printer. I ran away when I was about 17 because of disagreements I had with my brother and ended up in Philadelphia, where I became a printer, was sent on a rather scurrilous mission to England to better learn the trade, and was stranded there for about 18 months, returned married my sweetheart Deborah, at least in common-law fashion, and then rubbed on fairly well in Philadelphia, becoming eventually the main printer there, being able to retire at the age of 42 because of some good business practices, and devoted myself then to the study of science, what we called philosophy, the matters of electricity and boat design and water dynamics and airflow and heat, uh, manned flight, uh, the ideas and ideals of the, the past philosophers and how they might be applied to our needs of the day, reading, teaching, educating, health, all these things fascinated me. And that eventually got into politics and was eventually sent to England to try and heal the growing rift that was occurring between the colonies and our mother country. I failed in that. Returning, thinking that I would just become one again with the people studying uh, phenomena and trying my best to help heal the wounds, I was appointed to the Continental Congress, where, amongst other things, a Declaration for Independence was being circulated, and at that time I became, as certainly I had become, a revolutionary, it seems. I signed the Declaration when I was 70 years old, if you can imagine that, and then was sent to France to appeal to their better nature to, even after our wars with them, to then become our brother-in-arms. And they supported the revolution most excellently with money, with ships and arms, with, with supplies, and with men on the, on the ground. The revolution, after a long, harsh battle, won and our treaties with England secured, I returned, thinking again to retire, but was given over to public service one last time and was there at the signing of the Constitution, not particularly legal effort at first, but it became the law of the land. And then finally, in my sickness and decaying form, uh, took my final rest after living long enough to see General Washington become the first president of what I hoped to be a long succession of this new experiment called the United States. And I died in 1790 and have been lying in peaceful repose ever since until I was brought forward into your time, and here I am at your service. What were some of your favorite things to do for amusement, both you and the people in general? 
Well, we did many of the same things that you do. We listened to music, we went to the theatre, we loved to read and to play games. Only instead of going and hearing music all the time or having your MP3 players, your iTunes and such, we, of course, had to supply all of our own music. Everything was live. There was no such thing as recording except by writing things down. Um, I was a, an amateur musician in the crudest sense. I played the penny whistle, the guitar, the uh, the harp, the, the fiddle, and the instrument that I invented, the glass harmonica, not to be confused with your harmonica of your day. Um, but the, we, we read books aloud to one another, as, as I understand many of your parents do to their children now. We uh, went and heard lectures, saw demonstrations, heard preachers of various faiths expound upon their expertise. We uh, formed literary groups and societies for the study and advancement of science. We spent a great deal of our time in study and in, and in conveying that study and, and what little research we were able to accomplish in our humble shores back to Europe, to some surprising success. And these are what we did to help exercise our mind, and uh, many of which I see that you still do today, although we did not do, did not have really so much of the professional. Uh, of course, we did have musicians travel through and some acting troops and, and such, um, but they were mostly just our own efforts to amuse ourselves. Now that you're amongst us, over 200 years after your uh, passing, what do you hope to do? Well, I hope to be useful. I continue to write, to educate when I can, to speak as often as I'm invited, to do my little musical t exercises and tunes, uh, to fundraise, something I did quite a lot when I was in my time, and to publish. Um, I'm going to be producing a, uh, I think you call it a PDF of a, of a new publication called the Benjamin Franklin Gazette. And it will be available for free for download, uh, I think you call it, uh, along with this podcast uh, for educators or anyone really to download and, and see about some of the things that we're doing now and some uh, further explanations of the... Uh, items we may be discussing here on these episodes. We are, as we have always been, interested in conveying what information we could find useful to others for their use. My goal now is that is it the same as it has always been, to help bring about knowledge and understanding for the mutual benefit of all, not just for the few, but for all. And so I'm finding your world very fascinating to a man from my simple background. Uh, your, your speed of communication astounds me. Your ability to, to cure the diseases that saw so many of my friends taken off is a blessing. But still, and I think I may have mentioned this before, you're... The issues that you face, some of them are exactly the same as ours. The contention shown in your Congress is nothing new. But I do wish that the collaboration, the spirit of mutual sacrifice for the general welfare of the future, I wish that could be more prominently displayed. And, you know, life is for the living, and really, I am an anachronism. I, I, I am out of time. But if there's anything that I have ever done or thought or said or, or constructed, 
that can be of use to your time. It is yours for the asking. I only ask that I be allowed to offer it. What inventions have we, your descendants, produced that you find most intriguing? Oh, my, so many. But one in particular is the bicycle. Marvelous. Through self-power, you can move yourself at a pace we would have never dreamed of. Of course, the roads being smoother helps, but even so, even your dirt bikes, I think you call them, can go places that are only our horses could travel. Maybe 20 miles a day would be a good ride, and you can do that in an hour. Amazing. And, and look at the benefits for a small in investment of material time and, and your cash to purchase it. Um, you may have a... a a mode of transference that'll last you your lifetime, taking you hundreds, if not thousands of miles in, in about a, a fraction of the time it would take us to travel that. And it returns to you, uh, not pollution, as, you, as your many automobiles do, but, um, but health and in vigor and, and the rosiness of, of exercise producing such fine results of being able to see your friends and travel back to acquire material, your food for the day. It, it, it is a most marvelous idea, and I congratulate all who, who participate in that sport. Um, also, uh, you have created many uses for electricity. Now, the electrical fluid in our time was, um, was quite a, a, an adventure of discovery. We did many experiments. We um, produced some uh, paperwork on, on our various findings, which we were surprised to find out accepted as not a, a poor um, reference for uh, Europe's uh, more advanced discoveries, but taken as the new level of, of achievement in electrical fluid theory. Some of the simple uh, terms that I took in, uh, for use in electrical theory studies, such as battery and circuit and uh, the f uh, current and such, were used and adopted by most of the people of Europe. Uh, some of the experiments my, I, that I proposed were done in, in not only in England and France, but in Germany and uh, what you now call Germany, we, we call Prussia, in the Russias, and as far away as Cathay, as China. Oh, this is astounding. And because of this, some of my reputation was secured internationally. I became, much to my surprise, the most famous of the colonials in all of Europe. Indeed, perchance, in all the world. So your uses of electricity, uh, this, uh, the, the computer that I am uh, recording upon, uh, the light that lights the little studio that I am in, uh, the, the, your electric cars, now there's a fascinating advancement, uh, and the other items, your telephones of all sorts, uh, these things, of course, fascinating. Uh, but it's not so much the, the, the mode of conveyance, it's your ability to just communicate so quickly that we would have found, uh, we would have given so much for. Uh, it took us sometimes three to six months to hear back from Congress when we, were, when we were in France, and if we had been able to hear more quickly, we could have made much more informed decisions. Uh, but that, uh, of course, was impossible at our time. Sometimes uh, pigeons were the best way of conveying uh, when you were in the same landmass, but uh, not always um, reliable if somebody with a sharp shot uh, was hungry and decided to bring one down for dinner. But uh, other things, your ability to... Uh, 
to advance on flying. We eventually saw a man flight in the balloon, but you have now your airplanes and your gliders and, and things of most marvelous things. I was always interested in kite flying, but you have taken it to a whole new level. And your space flight, you have walked on another surface. You have sent your satellites, uh, uh, exploring interplanetary machines, to the farthest reaches beyond planets we never even knew existed. We have no words uh, to express the awe that such accomplishments should bring and the pride and universal brotherhood that we would have thought that this would have engendered, really realizing that you are indeed on a single planet, not divided up by God into unique countries. But you are all of one world. I, I would have hoped that international peace and brotherhood towards understanding and mutual education would have been the hallmark of your time. It is not, I see. You still have war, I see. But your methods of conducting it are... Well, you've left our crude methods so far behind. We could never have actually destroyed ourselves the way that you can. Maybe not all inventions deserve congratulations. And what about the automobile? <laughs> well, it seems no one in your time likes traffic, so why would I like what produces it? I suppose they have their uses, but I prefer the bicycle. Good point. What made you interested in podcasting? It seemed that uh, some work of your time were calling on the Founding Fathers, bringing them to their causes. General Washington would be behind us, and Ben Franklin would be behind us. And with that increased interest, it was some need to understand what we went through with our issues. Since human nature doesn't seem to really change, perhaps some of our insights might help in your time, at least for contrast, when we looked at the wisdom of the ancient philosophes, we recognized that they had it right, but we had to make their wisdom fit. Since podcasts in your time are such an excellent way of communicating thought, research, and learning, it seemed a most advantageous way to contribute what I could to the general need. May this be of use and service. Thank you, Dr. Franklin. I look forward to continuing these conversations for some time to come. Good citizen Ziegler, I am honored by your assistance in this process. I look forward to a fruitful Junto-like experience of exploration and publication with you. And to you, dear listeners, our thanks for your patience and patronage. Until next time, I remain, as I have always been, your most obedient and humble servant, B. Franklin. And now it's time to talk with the man who presents Benjamin Franklin, scholar and educator G. Robin Smith. Hello to the West Coast. Hello, Aaron. Welcome back home to the earthquake and tornado-smacked East Coast. Well, thank you. Uh, all is well here now, finally at last. So here we are with episode number one of Ben Franklin for President. And welcome to all you who are turning in now and in the future. Welcome one and all. As with most podcasts, we are starting out with many ideas and seeing what works best. You, the listener, can help shape future episodes by writing in and asking questions and giving us your thoughts. We especially wish to hear from educators. Your and your students' questions are always a source of great inspiration. 
In future weeks, we will be focusing on a theme for the week with quotes, dates, biographies, and the like. The format may change, but we will always be dedicated to bringing the genius of Franklin to you in as authentic and historically accurate way as possible. So, Robin, you've been a special guest on my podcast, Chop Bard, a few times, the the podcast about the, the works of William Shakespeare. But here you are now with your own podcast about Benjamin Franklin. Have you always been interested in both? I got interested in Shakespeare and drama in high school. Thank you, Mr. Carstens. Franklin had also held an interest for me for a long time because he and Shakespeare both came from fairly humble beginnings and affected the world, not only in their time, but up until now and probably for a lot longer. History itself didn't particularly interest me in those days. It was mostly what these two men were able to do. Their genius was fueled by self-disciplined study and imagination. I wanted to be more aware of how they thought and what thoughts influenced them. I wanted to walk in their shoes or, more appropriately, dip my pen in their inkwell. If I ever could and do it well enough, I might be able to begin to think somewhat in their way and recreate some of their works, or at least create new works in their vein. Uh, This podcast is just one part of that passion. Ah, so you became a teacher. I've been an educator since 1973, usually doing special assemblies and programs for many different schools and school districts. I started by doing classes in the performing arts and in about 1981 got interested in using those same techniques to help students gain a love of history through interactive history presentations. Around 98, I was introduced to a Chautauqua presenter named Clay Jenkinson, who's very famous for doing Thomas Jefferson, a marvelous resource there. Uh, JeffersonHour.org is his site. Uh, and he uh, personally inspired me to take on Franklin, to do a Chautauqua, a first-person interaction on him. And I've been doing him ever since. Uh-huh. Why Franklin? Of all the founding fathers, he is one of the most approachable and the one most people can relate to in their own life. Jefferson and others like him are, are genius on a scale with Socrates and Archimedes and Da Vinci and Francis Bacon. Franklin is like the mechanic at the corner gas station who can fix anything and who can help you with your homework. We've all known people like that uh, and just who seem to have an endless supply of information and stories that are appropriate to whatever our need is, and yet they don't themselves seem to have a huge degree of formal education. Um, This, of course, is a problem in the Shakespeare quote-unquote debate, and it's mostly that debate and and also whether or not you know, Franklin could have come up with these things is fairly well dismissed by the fact that, yes, they can, because genius and the desire to learn is universal. It doesn't come with a college degree. And by self-discipline, by education, by reading widely, you can get there yourself. And I think that's what makes Franklin so very approachable to us, is because he started out with no more, really, than any of us did. He came from a huge family. He had no inheritance. His father didn't have any social position to grant him. He was just Ben. He was just somebody willing to work very hard and to read extensively and talk and listen extensively to all those who had anything that they wanted to share. And he learned from it all, and he 
put it all to good use, and we are the beneficiary of his labors. And we should do as much for the future as he did for us. And uh, the presenting it like this in Chautauqua or in these podcasts, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we can see the past and see these people of the past and not look at them as, uh, you know, as some sort of deities on, on pedestals, but as people, people who had the same skills and talents that we do. And if they were able to do so much, and we now as Franklin, or excuse me, as, uh, was it Newton? said uh, that he, if he was able to see further, it was because he stood on the shoulders of giants. And that's the shoulders we're standing on, the giants of the past. We are standing on their shoulder, seeing further. What should we be doing for our future? Should we be giving them a life less full of potential than the one we were given? I don't think so. We should be giving them a better world. And that's what I'm hoping that this work with Ben and with other people from history can bring forward and, and give people an idea of what we can do today using their methods, but with our technology, with our knowledge, what leaps can we make for the future that we don't know about? So by being Ben and with the audience's help, uh, we hope to get a lot of information across in story form, one of the best ways to learn so they can learn they can take home stuff, they can use it, they can get inspired by and help improve the world. Oh, nice. So it's a calling then. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it. Now, uh, where have you gone as Franklin? Oh, goodness. Uh, all over Washington State where I'm based. Uh, Oregon, I've been seen as Franklin in California and have been uh, flown down to Texas. A wonderful time there. I love Texas. Dallas-Fort Worth area. Hello, my friends. Um, Philadelphia, I was at one of the inaugural balls in Washington, D.C. for uh, President Barack Obama's inauguration celebrations. I've been in Hawaii uh, as Franklin uh, wearing sandals instead of square-toed shoes, though, because uh, it is Hawaii. Uh, that, was, that was a lovely time. And I'm willing and happy to go anywhere. Uh, it, all somebody has to do is call up and arrange the transportation, and we will make a deal. Do you perform just at schools? There are a number of different programs, three main ones. Uh, we, we do do a lot of school presentations where we go in and perform, uh, present, actually, it's more accurate, for the uh, for an assembly of, a, of an entire grade or a couple of grades. And uh, I present a biography of my life on the theme of the day. And then the... The most enjoyable part of the program is when the students get to ask me questions because I don't know what they're going to ask. And students really ask a lot of questions. And these are not just you know, high school students. These are down to like second, third, fourth grade. And they study that time at all. They're very curious about Ben's relationship with people, what he did as a kid, um, the, how he managed to <laughs> survive in such a large family, um, you know, and just uh, the life and times of the t- of the day. Uh, you know, how they got by without flush toilets, without electricity, without boomboxes or you know, uh, MP3 players, etc. And, and really, some insightful questions as to how. They made it through the struggles that they had with the, the diseases, with cleanliness, with the slowness of transportation. It's fascinating. Well, that, that's one of our main programs. We also do evening programs. I presented at political gatherings, at, uh, at libraries, uh, evening programs for the public. And then one of the 
reasons that actually this program was developed was to be a fundraiser for nonprofits where a school could uh, have me in and their parents, instead of having to buy the tickets, could just sell the tickets you know, to the public. You know, a hundred people, hundred parents get five tickets each. They each sell them. That's 500 people. It's, you know, it could be even at $10 a ticket, $5,000 worth of revenue in an evening. And then, you know, I take my share to help produce these shows and, and do our work of, of helping other nonprofits. And um, and then you know they clean up afterwards, shut the doors, and they go home, and they've got a great deal of money for their schools, and and, and so that's the other main program. We also do Skype presentations. I think the furthest I've ever gone is consulting with a, a student down in New Zealand, uh, Skype or uh, Gmail talk chat. I'm afraid I don't know if I have that name right, but um, you know basically um, VoIP, Voice Over Internet Protocol where we can go and talk with people and uh, no matter where they are. And, uh, and we'd like, love to do that, too, because it's so easy to arrange and you don't have to have uh, travel. So it's much, much cheaper. What are some of the main points you want people to know about Franklin in his times? Well, number one, that they were not gods and they should not be called on as, well, Washington would have wanted us to do it this way. Well, Franklin would have, you know, the founding fathers or Adams or, you know, they would be backing our cause, not necessarily. And that all that they did was not great and glorious. They were flawed. They were humans. They simply were doing the best they could with what they had at hand, which was Franklin's entire portfolio. <laughs> That's all, all he ever did. And he did fairly well by being willing to collaborate. They, they, that they were not gods. They were flawed. Uh, but they shared mutual sacrifice and their level best efforts for the majority of, of all. And they did pretty good. Um, I think it's important to never discount the person working with their hands in the soil. To not just look to the rich, well-born and well-educated, as Hamilton suggested or seemed to practice, but to look to all, now and in the past, and to work together, collaboratively, for the future. This is what they did. This is why I think they were able to achieve such greatness with such humble tools at their disposal, is because they weren't doing it just to beat the other person. They were not doing what they did to simply get out with the best deal, that you know, the most profit in their own time. But really, their mutual lives, honor, excuse me, their mutual lives, fortunes, and sacred honor bet against doing the best for the future. This is something worthy of the gods. This is something worthy of, of, of eternal praise when so many gave so much for something they would never see, a, a land that they would never hope to to benefit from, to plant seeds that would come to fruition so many years in the future. But they did, and we have most of everything we have because of what they did. And we should be doing the same for our future. I think I've hit this theme three or four times now, but it's I think it's important. You know, some of what they did right really worked and still can work. They got some things wrong. Slavery and the native population problem. They passed it on to let us, you know, to let the future generations deal with it. And, you know, many people suffered with it. We have civil war. We have wounded knee. We've got uh, the Trail of Tears. We've got uh, years of segregation, etc. But um, 
we can even I think we can learn from their mistakes too and improve upon our own efforts in the, those fields. And uh, what other interests do you have? Oh, many of the same as it turns out from Franklin. I love music. Uh, I, I'm an actor by trade. My, that's what my degree is in. Uh, I love education uh, and improving the educational systems. That's why I helped create the Interactive History Company. Right, I created the first company that it actually was born from. Um, and then my, my wife is now running the Interactive History Company uh, and doing a fine job of that. Um, I love to write, as Franklin did, a fiction and uh, I love participating in the education of history and uh, theater. And I'm a playwright. Um, if got a couple of plays out there that are looking for people to do them, uh, and and a poet. There's one thing that Franklin acknowledged that he was uh, uh, most likely going to be a very poor one, both uh, in in skill and in financial remuneration. I've done a little bit better than he ever did in that. I think. Um, but I have a fascination with sonnets and with the Elizabethan style plays. And so a lot of my stuff is in that vein. But uh, uh, I got some screenplays in mind um, and I've got a, a writing partners in a few different places. One of the main ones is in New Zealand, actually, who I co-wrote. Or he, I translated one of his scripts into Elizabethan English. And uh, we've, he's, we've been working together on some small things and giving each other advice on projects ever since. So... Uh, so that's uh, and, uh, and I work at the University of Washington, and um, that's kind of the, the gamut there. Uh, what I really like to do, I, I enjoy woodworking and such. I, I like to tinker like Franklin did, although he was a bit more accomplished than I'll ever be on that. And uh, th there also uh, will be some links in the show notes uh, on our website, uh, as other things you can go to, like for my music site and for um, the. Uh, some of the plays and where you can write to for getting information on, on those other efforts as well. Now, speaking about music, some of the background music is from you, correct? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, to avoid copyright issues, I thought it would be best to actually just compose and record some tunes that are inspired by Franklin and his times. Um, some will be period tunes um, that are done by me or my wife and I. Who's, uh, it's one of the other things that we've done uh, that I do is uh, I sing in a duet with my wife called Trill Shane, and that link will be there. Um, and uh, some of some friends of mine who are also very good mu musicians are going to be coming by and uh, laying down a tune or two from the period, and they will be all downloadable. I'm thinking that uh, after the podcast, the, the tune that we feature each, each uh, episode will be available for a download of its own. Uh, that's at least what's, what's in the plans. And, um, and so we hope that, that these pieces, in, in the, even the original pieces done in a period kind of style, will um, really be inspired by the Enlightenment ideal that everyone should take part in beauty. That is, means that we should be more than listening, more than being an audience. We should all be taking part in beauty. We should all be singing. We should all be writing. We should all be playing an instrument. We should all be painting and drawing, regardless of how accomplished we are. The idea that, oh, I can't draw, I can't sing is bogus. I don't care how badly you do it, do it. You don't have to do it in front of people, but do it. There's an ideal of the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment really has a lot of ideas for our time as, as far as who we are and what we're here for. And that is one way that you can 
Take part in your own enlightenment revolution. Do beauty. Produce it. Garden, sing, play, write, draw, create. And you'll be doing what the enlightenment wants you to do. But just create beauty. Wow, very nice. Well, thank you, Robin. That's about all the time we have for today. So uh, we should wrap up. Fish and visitors stink after three days. But an hour podcast is all we have before our fish begins to smell. (laughs) Thanks, Aaron. I look forward to working with you here and uh, in hearing your future episodes about Shakespeare's works on ChopBard, www.chopbard.com. And thanks to you, listeners. Let us know you are out there. Write to ben at ben-franklin.org and put Ben Franklin for president in the subject line. You're the reason we do this. We hope you find it of use. Thank you for your time. Your most obedient and humble servants, G. Robin Smith and Aaron Ziegler. Safe journeys there and back. You've been listening to Benjamin Franklin for President, an audio almanac of the lifetimes, thoughts, and relevance of Benjamin Franklin, as portrayed by Chautauqua performer G. Robin Smith. I'm your host, Aaron Ziegler, from the Chop Bard Podcast. For further information about Ben's performances in person or for internet visits with Dr. Franklin, go to www.ben-franklin.org. With humble thanks and great respect, we remain your obedient and humble servants, etc.